I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Katrina McKiernan to the Irishman Abroad podcast today. When Katrina found running, she was just a young girl living in Cavan, running around her father's fields barefoot for the pure joy of it. There was no stopwatch, splits, speed sessions, personal bests or even long runs. It was just running because she loved it, regardless of how fast she was going. It only became obvious that her talent was on a different level to all those around her when she won the Ulster Novice Cross Country and the All-Ireland Schools events. As she tells me here, over the next few years it became a business. She competes at the highest level, wins gold at the European Cross Country Championships, wins an incredible four silvers in a row at the Worlds, wins the London and Amsterdam marathons and sets a marathon record that still stands today. In the process, she admits here that she falls out of love with it all. And we get to talk about how that happens, whether it could have been avoided and how now with her running workshops and chi running, she didn't just rediscover the joy of running. She made it her business to pass it on. We also get into how the media tried to engineer this rivalry between herself and our friend Sonia O'Sullivan but neither of them would allow it to happen. We ask whether coming 90 seconds outside of a world record in the marathon ever haunts her and why sometimes she wishes people didn't know about her previous life at the top of world athletics. This is a crowdfunded podcast paid for by you and people that can afford to support us. If you feel like you're one of those people and want to see Irishman Abroad continue and gain access to all our episodes from the past and the future, why not pay whatever you like over at patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. That's the small talk. Now let's get down to business. Now, your programme. What's the big idea? Well, they've grown to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. I moved over here and immediately I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and learn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been a little green behind the red, white and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Charlie Thrigo! Katrina McKiernan, it's fantastic to have you on Irishman Abroad at last. And I probably tried a few times over the years to get in touch and get you on the show. And the sense I got was that maybe probably eight years ago when I started this, that you would have said no then. Do you feel a bit more just ready to talk at the moment or is it a case of, uh, something else changed that you're able to do these well, interviews. Well, you harassed me so much, Charlie. <laughs> no choice. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I know, to be honest, yeah, I suppose, yes, sometimes I just wasn't in the humour of expressing myself, to be honest, and uh, perhaps you got me on a good moment there a couple of weeks ago and I said, oh, yeah, sure, <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
I guess I've heard like Tom O'Reardon and Paul Kimmage talk about the difficulty of interviewing you back in the day when you were, you know, competing at the highest level. And you had said that part of that was uh, your coach, Joe Din, and saying, tell them nothing, <laughs> which which I fully understand as somebody who grew up in the countryside uh, is a kind of an Irish countryside policy <laughs> that you're giving away your power if you give people information what was that part of the thing back then around this yeah no you're you're right in saying that that it is a country thing and you kind of play your cards close to your chest but also i would have felt it very pressurized you know before a race mm. saying oh i'm in the best form of my life and then maybe not performing on the day so mm. you know there wasn't a lot that i could say before races yeah, it was free and, and easy to speak to for a little while after a race, you know, when I had the endorphin release and I had performed well. But uh, certainly I didn't want to put any pressure on myself beforehand. And, you know, I always use the cliche of I let my legs do the talking. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, you know, I remember, yeah, you, you mentioned Paul Kimmage there. He came over to the press conference on the Tuesday before the London Marathon and, um yeah, I didn't, the poor journalist, I didn't give away anything on that occasion. I just sat at the top table and I said, I've prepared well, I'm going to do my best and we'll see how it goes. So there were the three lines that I kept saying. And after the press conference, they were just all sitting there. They had nothing to write. But uh, okay, I couldn't, there was nothing, you know, I felt that. I would have been putting pressure on myself if I, and look, there was nothing to say, to be honest, Jarvis, mm. like. You know, I had prepared well and uh, just fingers crossed that everything went well on the day. And that, w- that was it. There was no secrets with running. It's just to get as- away with as much training as you possibly can without breaking down. And everybody is different in that sense and finding that balance that that suits each individual. I always thought that it was it took tremendous courage to kind of stare down a media pack and go, there's nothing to say. I trained well, did my best, see what happens. But when you even mentioned the expectation that would come with divulging how well you felt or what your expectations were, I did kind of dig a bit deeper into that in the preparation for our chat. And finding that you were, you know, an excellent camogie player made me think that if pressure and expectation was was an issue, and that was driving this uh, reticence in these interviews. Uh, do you think that, have you ever thought that maybe you were more suited to a team game where that expectation would be shared among the women you were playing with? No, I wouldn't agree with that, Charlotte. No, I, I love the, you know, I love the loneliness of the long distance runner. I had no no issues with training by myself. Obviously, to a certain extent, it is easier in a team sport. With with running, you have to be 110% on the day. As I say, there's nobody you can throw the ball to if you're not feeling, uh, you know, mm. if you're not feeling that uh, 100%. But, um, yeah, look, I enjoyed the team sport as well, but definitely running, running was my thing. And it just makes sense, to be honest, Charlotte. Not to put yourself like it. It is difficult enough, and uh, you do everything not to put yourself under pressure and not to, 
have high expectations. Like it's it's okay to have that inner steel and have those high expectations within yourself, but you don't need to tell the world about them. Yeah, I mean, it, it is all connected to the country, isn't it? It is all connected to, you know, the girl you were growing up and just that environment of people talking themselves up is just not an Irish country thing to do is there's a major hang up around it connected with notions and uh, uh, getting ahead of yourself. Uh, And I remember kind of finding it odd when you'd come across it in certain parts of Dublin where people are telling you how brilliant things are going for them (laughs) and kind of not knowing where to look. You, You were clearly brilliant at running, but didn't recognize or go for it until your final year of secondary school. What do you put that down to? <laughs> it wasn't the done thing, uh, Jarlett. Uh, running wasn't popular. We didn't have an athletic club in the school. Uh, we didn't have an athletic club in the area. You know, it was very, very rural part of the country where I lived, um, about eight or nine miles outside of Cavan. And um, the boys played football and the girls played camogie and that was that was it really. So mm. I didn't have the opportunity. But in saying that, I lived on a farm and I just ran around the fields at home. I don't know what age I started that at, maybe 10, 12. I'd just go and do laps of the fields uh, out the back and with no expectations whatsoever to compete in any championships or anything like that. I just loved the feeling of well-being that that running gave me even from that very young age. So no stopwatch, just the joy, just the the feeling. Not even shoes, Charlotte. (laughs) In my bare feet. I mean, it's so pure, right? It's so, um, you know, the essence of the thing. When did you start to feel like you obviously go ahead and win you know, these junior races, the the national cross country is a big moment in your life. And, you know, it starts to, you know, new language, as we discussed before we came on air, new language must start cropping up. Did you start to feel a kind of a separation from the essence or the joy of it, as you've just spoken about early on in those days of taking it more seriously or did you manage to get back to that kind of quiet place of joy in those early years of training? Yeah, no, I, I, I look, I really enjoyed the, the the training. I really loved the training, the hard training, the harder the better. I, I loved the, the competition. And the fact that I kept a very quiet life and a low profile, that helped me to enjoy it for a long time. There was a time, though, that I began to enjoy it less. And, you know, that was around the time I started to run the marathons. Actually, it just got too much of a business, uh, too much pressure. And as you said, the purity, the joy was was gone out of it at that stage. It was it was too much like a business for me. I didn't like that aspect of it. And, um, yeah, I just longed to be able to go somewhere and run a race without anybody knowing, knowing that I was racing. Now, you're a good few years on from that moment. And I'd imagine that at the time you nearly can't put your finger on or or you tell me if you, you could put your finger on the loss of the joy or the new feeling, the different feeling that you were having. 
but to the eyes of the world, you were at the apex of your abilities. You were, you know, chasing world records and winning, you know, the biggest races there were to win at that distance. Do you now, with the benefit of the dust settling over time, understand what you were going through a bit better versus what you were feeling at the time? Yeah, I suppose, look, I had from the age of 18 on to for a period of a good 10, 10, 12 years, I had been training very hard, competing at the top level. And I suppose, to be honest, Charlotte, the novelty wore off a little bit and life keeps changing all the time. And I wanted a change in my life. I didn't want to be doing it at that high intensity for much longer and training twice a, t- a day and it was very regimental and look at I, I got married and I had two children and I just wanted to change and I didn't miss the running when the children were small I, I really that I always say there were the happiest times of my life when the children were small and going to the playgrounds and mm. just seeing them grow up and just starting to walk starting to talk all the funny things that that happen and, uh, you know, they were much more enjoyable times, if I'm honest, than running around the world. Um, there was certainly less pressure. The mm. only pressure was would they, would they eat their breakfast or dinner or tea with the sleep at night time, which is very simple things like, you know. Uh, but I really enjoyed when the, when the children were small. And, you know, to answer your question, Charlotte, I just wanted a change of life. Uh, things don't stay the same all the time. Well, like if... Um I was in a high performance center and I had an athlete like you at that time on the books and they expressed those feelings to me. I would say we've messed this up. (laughs) We, We got this wrong. Not that you were wrong to feel that way. I would go, we've over we've overrun this person. We haven't given them enough time off. They've basically burned them out. Would that, you know, would that be what you describe what you went through rather than (laughs) it simply being a case of I want to be brave, uh, (laughs) Charlotte. A lot of people would love to say that to me, but wouldn't. (laughs) But I I admire you for your, um, I suppose, your honesty and your straightforwardness in saying that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, yeah, what it looks, very, that's what it looks like. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was tired of running. I was, yes. Uh, <laughs> I just can't stop laughing <laughs> that you've said. Yeah, I don't know you at all. Like, I've only spoke to you for a few minutes. <laughs> I but uh, I like your straightforwardness. Yeah, I was tired. Look, at the body's only a body at the end of the day. And um, I was just, as I said, tired of, of, of the real hard training and I uh, had run three very uh, fast marathons in a period of something like 18 months which is Ridiculous. Quite tough on the body <laughs> yeah. and um, yeah I just needed a break from it all. So your life today I'm not going to jump over everything completely but again before we came on air you know we talked about what your business is now and your business now is really helping people appreciate and discover that purity that you spoke about as a child the you know the the energy that 
running gives you like people can never understand me now Tina my wife is always like what are you talking about you're going out for a run you're wrecked tired after the day's work whereas I'm like oh no this is how I'll get energy like I'll I'll be fine once I run 10k or whatever and you're you've made this the focus of your life now that it kind of came full circle in coaching regular folks into understanding that this thing that they probably thought was a chore as a child can provide all of this happiness as a grown-up. Yeah, like life is is challenging uh, for a lot of people and running is a great escape from that. And, you know, I suppose it's easy to share with somebody knowing I have a great passion for running, even if it's not on the competitive level. And I always say, even if I had never competed, I would have still run because I just love that. It just gives you a feeling of calmness, a feeling of well-being is, is just the best word to use. And that's what I'm able to share with other people. And, you know, the greatest joy in life is to be able to make other people happy. And I great, get great satisfaction from, from that. Just as you said, Charlotte, with ordinary people that want to maybe run out the door from their children for, for 40 minutes or just get away from the laptop or whatever it is and set their own little goals, whether it's a park run or a or a 10K. And um, it's just, you know, it's just, you know, it's a great, great for me to be able to help those sort of people without any pressure of the of the elite level. Yeah, I mean, so it's, chi running is is one of the terms that's connected to you. And I've actually had listeners go, have to get Katrina on to talk about she running and that she talks about it so well and that they've done your workshops and all the rest of it. Little did they know that I've been trying for ages to have you on. But uh, uh, maybe you can explain a bit better what she yeah. running is and how, you know, there's going to be certain people listening to this now who go, no, I can't run. And I bet you encounter that quite a bit where they're like, no, I know you like running, but I can't run. Well, how would you explain what you do and yeah, yeah. what would well, you say to that Charlotte, person? That's, that's the first thing to change the mindset and get them to say to themselves, I love to run and I want to run and I'm going to and I'm going to run because we, we can touch on that a little bit mm. later on. But mindset plays a big part in, in all of this or indeed in life in general. But um, with like I like to call it good mechanics for running to make running easier on yourself so there's less impact on your body and everybody can run I believe everybody and with a few tips it can be easier on themselves and basically what it is Charlotte just to maybe help the audience that's listening is teaching people good posture that's that's uh, very important so again everything I show them is they're moving in a way so that they're not putting as much stress on the body. And posture is possibly the most important aspect of good running form. If you're running with incorrect posture, it's going to cause fatigue and discomfort and eventually pain. So we spend during the workshop, uh, we spend a lot of time going through the posture. And I do a little demonstration to show them the difference between when they're in good posture and when they're not. Uh, how much more sturdy they are, they are in their structure when they're properly aligned. And good postures have your shoulder, hip and ankle bone in a straight line. A big mistake that a lot of people make is, so simply what you want to do is 
try and think nice and tall. Imagine you're holding up the sky with the crown of your head, mm. but keep the head and neck in line with the spine. Sometimes when people are, you know, think of standing tall, they bring their head back, but that reduces the oxygen supply. So if you can imagine of keeping the chin slightly tucked, mm. tall from the crown of the head, but not the front part of the head. And then we have a tendency to kind of to stand, to walk and run with our hips slightly forward. So a little cue that I use with people is so when they look, so they're standing nice and tall, but then when they look down, they should be able to see the bows of their shoelaces. But in actual fact, a lot of people can't because their hips are slightly forward. And then that means that they're not in good alignment. That's putting pressure on the lower back and lower extremities. So what they need to do is just just bring the hips back ever so slightly so that they can see the bows of the shoelaces and then they're 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 lined up properly then they're taking the pressure off the lower back so it's a little bit difficult to explain of course it. yeah you know, but, but, it, but it, um, it isn't so much of the misalignment that you're describing there connected to how much we're sitting down uh, and how much we're crooked over phones uh, specifically that when when we are running around as kids we we know exactly how to run, but yes, it's nearly yeah. unlearned over time. Yeah, yes, yeah. It's bad habits, as I say, and as you said, about sitting too much and, you know, being bent over laptops and computers. It certainly doesn't help. But just making slight adjustments can make a big difference and practicing them then in everyday life. As I say to the groups, it's not enough to think about this while you're out running. You need to practice it in everyday life when you're standing, when you're walking around to ingrain it into the muscle memory so that you become familiar with it. Well, I want to go back to something there because I'm obviously neck deep in this now. I don't come at this as two years ago if you and I had had this chat. I would have been like, nah, but I, you know, my hips, my knees are a bit worn down from playing basketball as a youngster. Uh, it used to twist my ankles all the time and I'd have a hundred reasons why I couldn't run. Then I picked up the phone to Sonia O'Sullivan, next guest of the show, uh, former guest of the show, I should say. And I asked her, could you teach me how to do it? And she was like, yeah, of course. And I was like, like you say that now, but... You don't understand the animal that you're dealing with here. But here I am, Katrina, 15 months down the road from that. And I'm kind of addicted to it. I I can't live without it. And certainly in the last few weeks, uh, to connect back up with what we'd just spoken about before this, I was feeling burned out from it. Like regular folk can feel burned out from it because it's very Moorish, isn't it, that even for these regular folk that you're teaching how to do it and do it correctly so that it won't impact their joints the way it shouldn't, they can overdo it, can they not? They're, do you talk to them at all about that? And how How is... Oh, yeah, big time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as you get older, we, 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 you know, we have to respect the body a little bit more in that we can't do as much uh, because we just get tired and... You can look at everybody has work and family life and all of that, all other all other commitments. So and we love to run, but, you know, you have to or, or any form of exercise in that and saying that you, you have to get the balance right. And if you don't, you can't do as much as you would like to do. And, you know, even as you said there yourself, you're feeling tired as possibly because you overdid the running and, you know, maybe work or whatever it is. So it's about 
getting the the energy levels right and and getting plenty of rest and recovery and you know I always say to people if you can get out running a good salad three days a week and spread the runs out so that you allow the body to recover in between uh, you can get you know you can get a good salad fitness base by doing that and the key thing is not to overdo it because when we're tired then you know and dragging ourselves around that's no fun and we're more susceptible to injury then as well so and everybody's different as well and it's important not to compare ourselves to other people maybe a friend might be going out running four days a week and maybe five days a week whatever it is and doing more mileage but you know everybody is individual and some people can take more than than others even at an elite level as well some people can train harder than others uh, but it's important just to find out what what you can do and and you know not to overdo it so it's always better to be able to do a little bit of running than none at all i mean when i started to feel it not to compare myself to an elite athlete but i had there was there was a certain amount of blame that i started to you know criticize myself that like uh, who did you think you were for training this much the negative self-talk starts to creep in. And as you say, the more tired you become, the more the mechanics go out the window a little bit uh, and that all the things that you've been taught to do correctly kind of stop being at the forefront of your mind. Your mind's a haze. It's a kind of, it becomes a kind of a fog. It's a further representation of how tired you are. And, you know, you're advising people on this, having lived through it, like... Uh, at the in the full glare of the media spotlight. I know you thought I was a bit impertinent to say it about that time, but oh, I laughed. But, I, but I mean, what I mean is I'm not putting any blame on you because you were taking the advice of others. Like when I say it got messed up. Uh, yeah, but we all have a choice, though, as well. Like, you know, and my father, he was he was great and I wish I had listened to him a little bit more, you know, and that not to be doing so much running, but you just, you get into this mindset, the more I do, the better I'm going to be. And then you run yourself into the ground and look at everybody does it, whether it's an elite athlete or a jogger at some point, or maybe a couple of stages during their career, they're, they're always going to do it. And it's just the nature of the, the athlete. It's the, you know, it's that competitive edge that you want to be your be- the best, but, uh, and and as you get older, you realise the mistakes you made, and you know that's part of that's part of it all. Yeah. And that's why it's it's good maybe for you know the likes of Sonia and you know people that have all those you know, uh, Eamon Catlin, you know everybody that has gone through their career. I don't want to be naming everybody, but mm. uh, it you know we we have learned along the way, and it's would be nice to be able to and it is nice in the likes of this podcast Jarla to be able to share our experiences with other people so that they don't make the same mistakes. So the worst case scenario for a normal or a normie as I call them when I talk to Sonia about this is that you go so far down the line with it that you stop enjoying it as, as you say you lose the love. Now I know, I think we all know regular folk who've started running have trained all wrong for a marathon and then go, I will never, (laughs) ever do that to myself ever again. When you decided to step back 
were you at that point? Were you you were obviously driven by the, you know, the passion and the need to raise your family and, the, as you say, a life change. But my question is, had you fallen so far out of love with it that you maybe disliked it or hated it? They're very strong words, Charlotte. I never, I never, I always, even when I was, the children were small and I never stopped running. I'd always go for for little runs and that, but I certainly didn't want to do the hard training that I was doing. Just, I was just, you know, just tired from it. I never, no, I would never lose the love for running. Never, never. But, um, you know, you do, you can exhaust the body so much whereby, you know, you just don't want to, have that much involvement with it really for for a period of time but um yeah. i still always like to run i mean you said that uh, yeah that like the two a days is something that's come up anytime we've had uh, an athlete on as well that, that like you kind of can't live your life if you know you've got the second run hanging over you uh, later in the day but you mentioned going wanting to go and run somewhere where no one could see that like you still had you know, that germ or that uh, memory in your body from when you were barefoot going around the fields and obviously you were, you know, pining for that. Part of the media coverage at the time was between yourself and Sonia and was about them. I felt the media trying to engineer some kind of, you know, uh, like a like a two boxer heavyweight thing where it's like uh, pitting you against each other why my question is why wouldn't that take off between you I mean obviously there's competitive spirit and you've always said there's this competitive spirit between you but why couldn't they make you two have a grudge against each other or become kind of foes maybe we're nice people (laughs) (laughs) Look, it was a natural thing that they were going to do. Two girls from the same country at the same age running around the world, uh, they were going to try and make. But look, I think, I, I can't speak for Sonia, but from my point of view, it's a tough game. And I respected everybody that I was competing against because I knew that they were training harder or harder than I was. And it's it just possibly wasn't in our nature to have, to be jealous mm. of each other mm. and that's why the media didn't get get any any mileage out of it <laughs> as such but um you know and and look at we we were both successful and it just look at it never well for me it never crossed my mind obviously now and it's just the nature of the beast isn't it like when we lined up against each other we wanted to each of us wanted, both of us wanted to win, but um, there was never any, you know, Sonia won the, I bring this up, she won the World Cross Country Championships. I was fourth, second, uh, or second four years in a row. But initially when I, sa- I said, I said, oh, feck. But that was because I wanted to win it. It wasn't just because she won it. Yeah. And look, it's, look I, I suppose to answer your question, Charlotte, it was just, it wasn't in our nature to, to be jealous of each other. And, and as I said, from my point of view, I know it's a tough game and that you have to train hard. And uh, I suppose you're in awe with what, you know, I was in awe with what Sonia could do and the fast times that she could run. 
And it was more a respect than what the media were trying to to do, like to make a little bit of rivalry. Mm. But as I said, that was going to be natural. So there you have it. The fun size version of my conversation with Katrina McKiernan to hear the extended all the bells and whistles full version of this a further 30 minutes conversation with Katrina where we get to go even deeper into what exactly took place to to her and in her career you need to go to patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad and unlock all of our episodes pay whatever you like uh, be part of the crowd that funds this podcast so that we can continue making it and I can continue finding the greatest Irish people ever to have lived to learn what we can from them. Patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. I want to say a very big thank you to Katrina for taking the time to do this, to Brian Connolly on sound, to Sixth Rental Car in Ireland, Sixth.ie. By the time I get this goes out, hopefully I'm going to be back in Ireland and have my butt in a sixth rental car thanks to those guys over there for making that possible they really do have a ridiculous range and a selection of options for you there and if you are heading back or have found a way to get back to Ireland and you're having difficulty finding that rental car I can tell you firsthand sixth.ie can sort you out I want to give a quick shout out to Katrina's website because as I said she has rediscovered this joy in running and is sharing it with people who never thought they could run runwithkatrina.ie is the website to go to if you'd like to book in a workshop for your work or for just your friends or go to one of her workshops runwithkatrina.ie the link is in the info but why not come on over to Patreon now might be the perfect thing to do this Christmas with a few extra hours on your hands we would be massively appreciative of it shout out to tina and mikey for making it all possible and to all the irish people heading home this christmas stay safe lads and if i don't talk to you on tuesday i'll talk to you next sunday with our big interview <laughs>